Good evening. It's good to be back together tonight. Appreciate another opportunity we have to spend in worship to our God. If you have your Bibles with you tonight and you're not already there from our scripture reading, then go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along tonight, we're going to be looking at the text that was just read for us a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, as we continue to make our way throughout this very beautiful and very powerful letter from the Apostle Paul. I read a story last week about a guy who decided to go for a walk in the middle of the day. He was walking through a really big city, walking down the streets, really busy streets, and as he walked down the street, he noticed a crumpled, wadded up piece of paper on the side of the road. Usually that wouldn't have meant anything to him, it wouldn't have really been a big deal if you've ever walked down the streets in a big city or let alone in a small city, you're going to find pieces of trash, you're going to find litter all over the place. But as he looked at this crumpled up, wadded up piece of paper on the side of the street, he noticed that there was some writing on it. So that kind of piqued his curiosity. He wondered what was written on this piece of paper. So he goes over, he picks it up, he unfolds it, he flattens it out. And on that piece of paper were written four words. And four words only. Acceptance, forgiveness, tolerance, and gratitude. From the way that he tells the story, from that moment, those four words changed his life forever. It was just something about seeing those four words in that moment, on that crumpled up piece of paper, it changed the way that he viewed himself. It changed the way that he viewed other people. It changed the way that he viewed his relationships. It even changed the way that he viewed the world. Words are powerful, aren't they? And especially when we see the right words in just the right moments, they have the power to change our lives forever. Well, when you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-10, through 10, in this text, in these ten verses, there are two words that have the power to change our lives forever. There are two words in this text, in Ephesians chapter 2, that have the power to not only change our lives, but they have the power to give us life. These two words not only have the power to change our lives in the here and now, but also in the hereafter. Not just in the lives that we're living right now, but also as we think about stepping into eternity at the end of time. And they're the two words that you see on the screen behind me. But God. In the way that we're going to be talking about it tonight, in the way that we're going to be studying it from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, these two words make up the difference between who we were in the past and who we are in the present. You think back in your past. You think about who you were before Jesus. You think about your identity. You think about your purpose in life before Jesus. But then you look at your life now. And you see the change. You see the transition that's taken place. The reason that that change was able to happen. The reason that that transition is so powerful from who we were to who we are are those two words in Ephesians 2, verses 1-10, through 10, but God. 
Let's start out in verses 1 through 3 by talking about who we were. Notice that's what Paul is, is addressing. You think about what we've studied over the last few weeks in Ephesians chapter 1. We've talked about how God has given to us all spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places. That's verses 3 through 14. And then last week we talked about Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, a very powerful prayer that we can learn a lot from, where he's praying for them to have knowledge, to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, for the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened. Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus to come to know God better. He continues in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 by saying this, And you were. Notice the past tense there. Paul says, I want you to think about all of these blessings that you have in Christ. And I want you to think about how I pray for you. And how I want you to grow. And how I want you to know God better. Now I want you to take a look back into your past. You were what? Number one, at one time, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What does it mean to be dead? Physically. We go to Scriptures like James chapter 2, the very last verse in that chapter. John says, just like the body is dead without the Spirit, so faith is dead without works. When you look at it in its most basic form, physical death is a separation. Whenever your eternal soul, whenever your eternal spirit is separated from your physical temporal body, that's death. That's what physical death is. It's a separation between the soul and and the body. Well, if that's what physical death is, then, then what is spiritual death? What kind of death is Paul talking about here in verse 1? He's talking about a separation between us and God. You're spiritually dead when you find yourself in a position where you're separated from the only one who can give life. And so Paul wants these Christians, he wants us today to take a look at our past, to realize who we were. We were dead. We were separated from the only one who could give us life. What is the reason for that separation? Why did that death take place? Paul says we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we walked. The Greek word for trespass means to deviate from the right path. If I trespass on your property, I've deviated from the path that I'm supposed to be on. I'm on a path, I'm on a piece of land now that I'm not supposed to be on. The Greek word for sin, homartia, literally means to miss the mark. It's like you're shooting a bow and arrow at a target. If you shoot too high, if you shoot too low, if you shoot too far to the right or too far to the left, you're going to miss the mark. You're going to miss the target. You're not going to get a bullseye. Paul says we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we walked. We made the decision to deviate from the right path. To deviate from the path that God had set up for us. Each one of us at one point made the decision to miss the mark. We shot too high. 
We shot too low. It was too far. It wasn't far enough. Too far to the right. Too far to the left. We made the decision. Each one of us made the choice to live in trespasses and sins. And Paul says as a result of that, we were dead. We were separated from the only one who could give us life. It's like what, he talk, what Isaiah talks about. Remember Isaiah, the 59th chapter, beginning in verse 1? He says, Behold, the, the Lord's hand is not shortened so that He cannot save. The Lord hasn't gone deaf so that He cannot hear. The problem's not with God. Well, where is the problem? But your iniquities, verse 2, have made a separation between you and your God. Paul says that's where we used to be. He says that's who we used to be. We were dead in the trespasses and sins that we chose, that we walked in, that we lived in. Number two, at one time, we were following, verse 2, the course of this world. If you flip just a couple chapters over to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, Paul describes what the world looks like. And he gives a pretty dark description. He does this in other passages. I'm thinking about Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Or in Galatians chapter 5, whenever he contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. But staying in the book of Ephesians, you notice how Paul describes the world. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He uses that word Gentiles, the Greeks, to refer to the world. Those who are outside of Christ. What do they look like? What kind of lives are they, li- are they living? They're walking in the futility of their minds. The meaninglessness of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and haven't given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Paul says this is what the world looks like. But then you go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, and Paul is not just saying this is what the world looks like. He's saying this is what you used to look like. He said at one time, We were following the course of the world. We were imitating the world. We were being conformed to the world. But then, perhaps he even takes a step beyond that in verse 2, that we weren't just following the world, but we were also following Satan. Paul describes Satan by using two different phrases when you look at verse 2. He first calls him the prince of the power of the air. That phrase, the power of the air, if if you were to step into the mind of a first century Jew or even a first century Gentile, that phrase referred to Satan's demons. They thought of the air as being the realm of the demons. Just like you can't see the air, you can't see Satan's minions. You can't see Satan's demons who at this time were especially active in the world. Who is Satan? He's the prince. He's the ruler of the prince of the power of the air. He is the prince, the ruler, the commander of this legion of demons. And then you notice the second thing that he says about Satan. That Satan, verse 2, is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul says when you look at someone who's choosing to live disobediently to God, God is not the one who is working in them. No, Satan is the one who's working in them. And in verse 2, Paul says that's where we used to be. We were following Satan. 
We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were following after the Spirit that works in people who are disobedient to God. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, Peter says that our adversary, our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, at one point in your life and at one point in my life, Satan wasn't just seeking after us to devour us, but he had devoured us. He had completely overtaken us. We were following Him in verse 2. And then you continue reading in verse 3. Paul says at one time we were living in the passions, the evil lusts, the evil desires of our flesh. Notice the emphasis in verse 3 on the phrase, we all. He says we all were doing this. Paul includes himself. All of his readers at the church at Ephesus. Us today. We all were living in the passions of our flesh. And then he divides that into two different groups. He says first, you have to think about those evil desires of the body. He says at one time, anything that our body wanted, that's what we did. Anything that our body desired, any kind of desire or lust that it had, that's what we fulfilled. But then he says it's not just these desires outwardly, the desires of the senses. But then in verse 3, he talks about the desires of of the mind. Any thought that popped into our minds? We fulfilled. Whether it was good or bad, whether it honored God or whether it didn't honor God, any kind of desire we had, anything that surfaced in our minds, Paul says that's what we fulfilled. That's who we used to be. He says we all were living in the passions of our flesh. And then verse 5 and verse 3, he says by nature... We were children of wrath. There are some people who really abuse that phrase at the end of verse 3 to promote something called Calvinism. They use that phrase, by nature we were children of wrath, to say we were born into this world sinful. And we inherited Adam's sin. We inherited Adam's guilt. And we were born into this world by nature as people, children deserving God's wrath. Do you think that's what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 2? Consider two thoughts. Number one, if you go back to verse one, Paul talks about how we were dead. Why were we dead? Is it because we were born guilty of trespasses and sins? It's just something we came into this world with? Well, no, verse one, we were dead because of the trespasses and sins that we chose to walk in, that we made the decision to live in. And so this is not something that I'm born into. This is something that I've chosen to involve myself in. And then consider this. When you do something time after time after time, eventually you're doing it by what? By nature. By habit. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here. He said we committed sin after sin after sin. We made wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision. And eventually, we were by nature, we were by habit, children of wrath. By our our habitual practice of sin, we became individuals who deserved nothing short of God's wrath, nothing short of God's holy anger, and it's all based on our choices. It's all based on our decisions. So as a Christian... Take a minute to think about who you were. Take a minute to think about what your past looks like. Paul says at one time we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Following the world. Following Satan. Living in the passions of our flesh. We were by nature children of wrath. 
It's a pretty dark past, isn't it? A broken past. A sinful past. Something we can all look back on and see. But then, to me it's even sadder to think that there might be some people here tonight who have never made the decision to follow Jesus. And if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, when you read verses 1-3, through this is not about who you were, but this is about who you are. If you're not a Christian, if you've not put Christ on in baptism, this is describing your life right now in verses 1-3. through But then we think about for those of us who are Christians, it's powerful to note that who we were is not who we are. Our past is not the same as our present. A change has happened. A transition has happened. A transformation has taken place. We see who we were in the first three verses of Ephesians 2, but then we see who we are in the last seven verses. Paul says, number one, right now as Christians... We are recipients of God's mercy. Paul, I love how he describes God's mercy in verse 4, that God is rich in mercy. It's not that God just gives a little bit of mercy and then He runs out. It's not that God's mercy is limited. He's not poor in mercy. God is rich in mercy. And we're recipients of that. We've been able to receive that. A definition that's oftentimes been given to the word mercy is that God withholds from us what we deserve. God refuses to give us what we deserve. That's mercy. And so you look back at verse 3. We were by nature children of wrath. What do we deserve based on our own sinful choices and decisions? We deserve God's wrath. But when God withholds us from that, that's what we call His mercy. When we stand before God on the final day of judgment, we deserve an eternity separated from Him in the fires of hell. No doubt about it. But when God withholds that destiny from us, that's His mercy. It's what we're recipients of. You look at who we were, a change has happened. A transformation has taken place. We were dead, but now we've received God's mercy. Number two, we're not only recipients of God's mercy. According to verse 4, we are recipients of God's love. Just like he describes God's mercy by using the word rich. Notice he uses the word great to describe God's love because of the great love with which He loved us. Again, we're not talking about something that's limited. We're not talking about something that we can put a cap on. We're talking about something that's rich. Something that's great. We're going to see a little bit later in Ephesians chapter 3, the love of Christ is beyond our understanding. Take just a second to think about how much God loves you as His child, His son, His daughter. Just a few thoughts. Scripture tells us it's an eternal love. Spend some time in Psalms chapter 136 this week. It's a powerful psalm where after each and every phrase, you find this phrase, the Lord's steadfast love never ceases. The Lord's steadfast love endures forever. It endures forever. It endures forever. It's repeated in every single verse. What do I walk away from that psalm knowing? 
that God loves me and, and that love doesn't have a timetable on it. That God loves me and He loves you with an eternal love. It's a love that we can't be separated from. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39? Nothing outside of ourselves can separate us from the love that God has for us. He says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor dominions, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a love that ultimately put His own Son on the cross. A few chapters back, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Notice in Romans 5, Paul is talking about who we were. Are we sinners as Christians? Well, we certainly sin. We still make mistakes. But when you read Scripture, we are not sinners. We're saints. We're the holy people of God. We talked about that, I think it was three or four weeks ago, and in just the few verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says, even though we were sinners, even though we were that way, God shows us how much He loves us. How? By sending His own Son to die for us. We are recipients of God's great love. Number three, now... Paul says in verse 5, we have been made alive with Christ. Just like Jesus is alive. We have been made alive with Him. You go back to verse 1. The Bible says that we were dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. But now what's happened? We've been made alive with Jesus. Just like Jesus has been made alive, we've been made alive with Him. But then Paul doesn't stop there. He says in verse 6 that we've been raised up with Jesus. We mentioned last week in chapter 1 and verse 20 about how God raised up Jesus by His power. He raised Jesus from death to life. We've been raised with Him. We've been raised from death, verse 1, dead in our trespasses and sins, to life, verse 5. We've been made alive with Jesus. But then he continues on, number five, we've been seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. Verse six. We go back again, chapter one and verse 20. We studied this verse last week. But the Bible talks about how through God's power, about halfway through that verse, Jesus has been seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places, the spiritual realm. In verse 21, what does that position look like? It's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not just in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is in a position at God's right hand where all things have been put under His feet, where all things have been put in subjection to Him. And He reigns His head over the church. Paul says, you've been seated right next to Him. Jesus is sitting right next to God in the heavenly places. In verse 6, we've been seated right next to Jesus in His position of exaltation and glory. We're already sharing in Jesus' victory. We're already sharing in Jesus' exaltation. It's not who we were, but it's who we are. We've been made alive with Jesus, raised up with Jesus, seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. We're recipients of His kindness in verse 7. He says, 
that in the coming ages, God is going to show the immeasurable riches of His grace, watch it, in kindness. There are so many people in the world who have a view of God that God is just mean. God is out to get them. God wants to catch them in their sin. That's not what we find out about God in Scripture. When we see how God is described here in Ephesians chapter 2, He's a God of kindness. A God who has extended kindness to us, but also will extend kindness to us on that last day when we stand before Him. A major theme in verses 4-10 through is that we have been saved by His grace. That's who we are. You find that phrase in verse 5, you find it again in verse 8, by grace you have been saved. Grace. The unmerited favor of God. Favor bestowed when wrath is owed. When I deserve God's wrath, He gives to me His favor. That's what His grace really is. It's the flip side of mercy. What did we say mercy was? Mercy is God withholding from me what I do deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is God refusing, God rather giving to me what I don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from me what I do deserve. Grace is God giving to me what I don't deserve. Again, picture yourself in the throne room of God. We deserve an eternity separated from Him. Him withholding that from us is mercy. But then look at the other side of it. We'll be able to inherit that kingdom that's been prepared for us from the very foundation of the world. We're receiving something from God that we certainly don't deserve. That is His grace. By grace, you've been saved, Paul says. That grace has to be received through faith. Notice that Paul is not saying it's received by faith alone. Paul here is not saying just believe in God, trust in God, say some kind of prayer, and then by grace you've been saved. No, it's a faith in James chapter 2 that works itself out in obedience. Even though that's the case, don't for a second think that you can earn this grace. Don't for a second think that you can earn this salvation from God. Paul makes it clear that we can't. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not that I did a certain number of good works, now God has to give me a salvation. I've done good things, now God is indebted to me. He has to save me. It's not that I do a number of good things and and I can boast and brag about my salvation because I've earned it. No, you, you haven't earned it. We'll never deserve it. And that's why we call it grace. By grace, You've been saved through faith. It's not just something we experience in the here and now, but it's something that will also define our lives in the hereafter. Did you notice verse 7? That in the coming ages, looking forward to the future, God is going to show the immeasurable riches of His grace. Am I saved by grace right now? Absolutely. But is it something that I'm going to experience in fullness as a child of God on the day of judgment? It is. One day, as Christians, based on who we are, not who we were, we will experience the immeasurable riches of the grace of God. Isn't that awesome to think about? We've been saved by His grace. And then finally, in verse 10, we are His workmanship. 
We've talked about a lot of different things that we've received from God. A lot of different things that God has given to us. But how does that impact our behavior? How does that impact our choices? How does that impact the way that we live on a daily basis? For we are God's workmanship. We are the individuals who God works through on a daily basis. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is a distinction that we need to learn. It's a distinction that we need to make. As we mentioned a few moments ago, good works are not why we have received salvation. Good works are the result of our salvation. That's something we need to make a distinction between. Good works are not how we have been saved, but they are the results of being saved. Now that we've been saved by His grace, we are His workmanship. He's working through us. We've been created anew in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. It's the idea that God has laid out this path for us to walk down as Christians, and our responsibility is to walk down it. God prepared these good works beforehand, and our responsibility is to live in them, to allow them to define our lives. This is a popular section of Scripture in Ephesians 2, and I hope that you can see why. It's powerful, isn't it? But it's not just powerful, it's personal. It talks about the change, the transition, the transformation that each one of us as Christians has experienced. I mean, look at who you were. Look at who we were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Following the world. Following Satan. Living in the passions of our flesh. We were by nature children of wrath. But we're not that way anymore. Who we were is not who we are. Now, we are recipients of God's mercy. Recipients of His love. We've been made alive with Jesus. We've been raised up with Jesus. We've been seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. We're recipients of God's kindness. We've been saved and will be saved ultimately by His grace. We are His workmanship. Those who He works through on a daily basis, we've been created anew for the purpose of living in good works. It's a powerful change. It's a personal transformation. But how was it able to happen? How was this change? How was this transition? How was this transformation able to take place in our lives? Well, go back to how we started. There are two words in this text that have the power to change our lives forever. Between who we were in verses 1 through 3 and who we are in verses 4 through 10, we find those two words. But God. It's not all about you. And it's not all about me. Who it is all about is God and how He has worked in our lives. The difference between who we were and who we are is not just a change in behavior. It's not just being dunked in water. It's not just about what I've done. But this change, this transformation, this transition that we've experienced as Christians is all about God. It's all about what God has done in our lives. He is the difference between who we were and who we are. 
how we read this passage and ultimately how we respond to this passage is dependent on how we stand before God. Are you a Christian tonight? If you are, when you read through this text, your heart should overflow with gratitude. Your heart should overflow with thankfulness. Look at who God is. Look at what God has done in our lives. He's taken us from who we were being dead to who we are. Being made alive with Jesus. Raised up with Jesus. Seated beside Jesus in the heavenly places. Are you thankful for that? Do you live out that gratitude and that thankfulness on a daily basis? Are you allowing God to work through you? Every day, are you living as God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works? Are you a Christian tonight? If you're not, then I want you to again read through verses 1-3. through three. That's not who you were. That's who you are. The good news is, you don't have to stay there. Regardless of where you might find yourself tonight, allow God to make up the difference between the past and the present. Two words that have the power to change your life forever. Two words that have the power to change your life right now. But, God. As we stand and as we sing.